We all know that there are certain elements that affect our consciousness, uh, certain substances. For instance, if one were to drink alcohol, their consciousness would become affected. If one were to take drugs, their consciousness becomes affected. It's like a cloud comes over your consciousness. Uh, the word we use usually is torpor. And you enter into a torpor which alters the way that you think and perceive things um, if you weren't ingesting uh, these drugs. Now, the fact that ingested drugs affect us is self-evident to everybody. However, we don't have to ingest things to be affected. We don't have to take things to change consciousness. Um, we were just in Oregon. I can witness for you that standing in the woods in Oregon leads to a different consciousness than standing on 42nd and Broadway in New York City. Something happens by the very nature of the elemental forces that surround you that changes your consciousness. In Sufism, we talk about states of being. In other words, it's recognized that people are different at different times. And the question that we all have to ask ourselves and the things that we have to become aware of as to ourselves is what state are we in at the moment? In other words, where are we in this plane of consciousness? What is our status in consciousness? What are the things that we uh, deal with, with our consciousness? And what's the attitude of our consciousness? Um, a drunk has a certain attitude. Um, there are good drunks and there are bad drunks, I'm told. There are belligerent drunks and there are happy drunks. But these people aren't involved in actual consciousness. They're involved in a torpor that overwhelms their consciousness and they're acting out their torpor. Likewise, even without drugs, we can be involved in torpors. Torpors that you might not even think about as overwhelming your being and clouding the way you think. For instance, the torpor of regret stops you from moving forward in a normal way because you're constantly hindered 
by what happened in the past and your unhappiness with it. It can cripple you. The torpor of power, the need for power, the torpor of various desires that overwhelm people to the point that they can't function as a true human being because they function in relationship to their needs. Now, everybody has different kinds of needs. Some people have need for women. Some people have need for men. Some people have needs for money. Some people have needs for power. Some people have needs for gold. Some people have needs for real estate. All of these worldly elemental needs also overwhelm our consciousness and change the way we think depending which lust we are overwhelmed by at the moment. Now, being conscious that these things exist is one thing, but being able to be conscious of their relationship to ourselves is an entirely other thing. So we need to be able to be the gauge of where we are. We need to be able to something like uh, a barometer will tell you certain statistical things about weather. We need to be able to tell us certain things about ourselves. And we need to be able to set up methodologies within ourselves to gauge our state. And we have to know what different states are. The reason for a teacher, the reason for a sheikh to be in your midst is to be able to show you states that you can't comprehend yet. Because when you see those states, what happens is that all of a sudden they enter into your consciousness. And once they've entered into your consciousness, now you're aware of them. And as your interaction exists with them, with the teacher, and the state that your teacher is in, you become familiar with that state. For instance, if you're, if you're in front of a being who exudes love in a overwhelming kind of way, you have a personal reaction to it. And it has an effect on you. If you do that over and over and over again, you'll become familiar with that effect. If you watch what that effect has on other people, you'll become familiar with the effect of that state. And soon, if you watch yourself close enough, you'll be able to determine what effect it has on you. Next step. Can you induce love into your own being? Can you bring yourself 
to a state where you love as opposed to any other state. In other words, when you're angry, can you alter the anger and bring love? When you're regretful, can you alter the regret and bring love? When you're sad, can you alter the sadness and bring love? When you're hasty, can you slow yourself down and bring love? Love is a penultimate state. Can you maintain the state? And can you be aware of the fluctuations in and out of the state? It could be said that Sufism is about altering your state. It can be said that it's about going from the worldly states that are tied to illusion to going to the states of reality that are tied to Allah. Altering where we live inside ourselves. Do we live in the world of illusion or do we live in the qualities of Allah? Now, the only one of us who can truly understand the internal nature of our being is ourself. We, in Sufism, become the judges <coughs> of ourself. We can't be the judges of anybody else. Allah has kept judgment for himself, but he's allowed us to judge ourselves. So, we can do an analysis, and we should do an analysis of our being. The month of Ramadan is a way to help with this analysis. We begin to understand that when we don't eat and that we, when we don't drink, something happens to us. We begin to change. Can we watch this change? My teacher once said to me that if you can't fast from lust or arrogance, Allah doesn't need you to refrain from food and drink. Now, one is a totally physical manifestation, uh, uh, interaction that we have. The other is a totally internal manifestation. Is it any less real than not eating or drinking? Is it any less important to us? than not eating or drinking. Of course, somebody might say, if you don't eat and drink, you'll die, but you can remain alive if you don't fast from lust and arrogance. Uh, the truth being that one deals with the temporary nature of your existence and the other deals with the eternal nature 
of your existence. It depends how you look at things. And it depends on your attitude towards things. Can you understand that this world is the farm for the next world? And what you grow here manifests in reality in the existence when this body goes away. The qualities are without atoms. The qualities are without the substance that we look at, that we see change and disappear before us on a constant basis. But you can't measure love. You can't weigh it. You can't burn it. You can't destroy it. You can't destroy it by physical means. The question is, what does destroy it in us? What stops us from being in that state? What hinders us? What holds us back from being in that state? Now for each of us, it can be different. We may be in a perfectly wonderful situation and then somebody comes by us and says something nasty about something that we're attached with and we react to that nastiness. All of a sudden, in an instant, that overwhelming love that we have felt moves into something else. Why? What is it in us that can be so easily altered? Or have we become grounded? Are we able to sway? You know, the, the example is often used of the reed being able to withstand the storm and the tree that's stiff breaking in the storm. In this world, we will, no matter what our state or station is, be constantly attacked by the ravages of the world. The great teachers, the great sheikhs, the illuminated ones, were cursed by the people in the world. Yet, how did they react to this? How did they respond and how did they maintain? The people of Mecca tried to kill the prophet. Why? Because of what he was bringing into the world. One, they didn't understand, and two, they were afraid of it. Well, <clears throat> if that kind of enmity came against the prophet, why should we be surprised when enmity comes towards us? Why, why should we be so overwhelmed by the fact that people would throw words and or things at us? And how did the prophet react to having words and or things thrown at him? 
There's one famous example where Gabriel came to the prophet after people were throwing things at him and said, I will destroy all of them. And he said, no, their grandchildren will be believers. A man came to him once and talked about certain people and said they should be cursed and die. And his response was, I came into this world as a mercy, not as a curse. Well, why did we come into this world? And what's the purpose of our existence? And why were we given the example of the prophet? And why are we given the examples of the saints? And why are we given the examples of the elevated beings? For what purpose? And why do we talk about these things? For what purpose? The purpose is that our story should run parallel to those stories. And we should be all able to configure ourselves into those stories, to bring ourselves into those states. We shouldn't see the saints as separate from us. We should see the saints as our examples in this world. We should see the saints as our models in this world. We should be working to emulate those people and the states that they're in. We should be working to emulate those stations. We should be working to understand why a saint acts the way a saint acts and what we can do in our own life so that we begin to act in that way. Why do the Christians say, what would Jesus do? They say it because they want to understand through their example what they should do. What would the Holy Ones do? And what would we do? Is what we do the same thing that the Holy Ones would do? Or is what we do entirely different than what the Holy Ones do? And if there are differences, why are we different? What separates us? And why do we ourselves separate ourselves from the actions of the saints? What is it that we allow in ourselves that allows us to be contrary to that? And, and, how do we get to know that section so that we can deal with it? This only goes on if there is a constant self-examination of our being. And self-examination is the hardest examination. Because self-examination reveals to us all of the faults within our being. And if we are egocentric, 
to where we feel much more comfortable in our skin if we find our body faultless, our being faultless, then when we discover faults, we become uncomfortable. And in that state of being uncomfortable, interesting things happen to us. The first is that we begin to think about something else. I don't want to hear it. I don't want to know about it. I don't want to understand this. It's too close to the bone. It hurts. It's painful. It's too revealing. I don't need to know that much about myself. We need to know everything about ourselves. And we have to be able to have the courage to go through that self-discovery. When an animal sees fire, it runs. When we come close to that fire, the animals in us will run. The question is, will we run with them because we've identified ourselves so closely with them? So when they take off, boom, we take off too. Or can we stay and watch them leave? This is the dilemma of existence. And this is where the choices are made as to what our life is going to be like. This is the struggle. This is at the core of what's known as jihad, the holy war. Because it's a war between our holiness and our worldliness. It's a war on behalf of holiness. It's a war on behalf of love and all that that attempts to pull love from us. This is what Sufism is meant to teach. This is what Sufism, this is the path that Sufism takes you on. And it's a path that requires tremendous courage. It requires us to move forward and every time we see something wrong not go into the world of regret but go into a world of action there's so many different ways that Satan uses to stop us you've been so bad you can't get any better there's no way that you're worthy there's no way that you can ascend to the heights that you need to go to to become anything. So stop. This is a useless attempt by you. Who are you to reach the states that they've reached? Who are you? You're meaningless. In our meaninglessness, which we acknowledge, we also acknowledge that Allah created us to know Him and we stand by that acknowledgement 
in our meaninglessness. As meaningless as we are, we can learn to love. We can be smaller than the one next to us. And in that smallness is the greatness that comes from humility. We need to understand how these things work and where these things can take us, not in this world, but in the world of reality. And reality needs to be the place that we want to live. May Allah open the door to reality for each of us. May he show us the straight path and take us on it. Amin, amin. Ya Rabbil Alameen. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuhu.